or good morning. Okay, today's passage comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Fritz. Thank you, Allison and team, for leading us in such beautiful music this morning. And good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. For those of you watching online, good morning to you. Even if I can't hear your response, I know that you're there and appreciate you um, jumping on to be a part of our worship service today. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle, just glad to be a part of this worship uh, experience and time with you this morning. It's great to have the Allen family back from vacation, filling up your front row here again. And uh, of course, Isaac and Lainey now 15 whole days married, right? Old married folk now. So. Be praying for them, too. They head back this middle of this week to go back to school, back to Louisville, and kind of set up life there together and uh, head back into school. So pray for them as they go through another transition for them. I'm, again, so thrilled and happy for you guys. And uh, also, just, it just struck me as I'm watching our team, our Samaritan's Purse team up here, do pray for them. Uh, two of those members are deacons and two of those are elders. And I love that, that our leadership here at Trinity is actively involved in hands-on ministry like that. Uh, I think that's really the way it should be. I love it when it's reflected in that way for us. And uh, so, and if you've never been on a Samaritan's Purse trip, I've been on a couple myself, and I just encourage it. We're gonna, we keep doing this a couple, three times a year, and if, it's a great way to just kind of stretch yourself, get out in another environment. And even if you have no experience in construction kind of work like me, you can still be put to work and, and still be of use to the kingdom of God and to people who are hurting and struggling. So be praying for them as they, as they serve this next week. And uh, 
also be aware, Jason mentioned this, but I just want to highlight it again. We've got a number of things coming up, especially you, we need your help getting the word out. But two big outreach events coming this fall, so that in September, that uh, Babby Mason concert, we're doing that out in the community because we want to bless our community. And we, then the next month, end of October, we've got this fall celebration, which we'll be telling you more about, but already get it on your calendar and begin to help us get the word out about that. It's a way that we want to be able to bless and reach our community for Jesus Christ. So it's not going to be our own home little fall celebration like we've done in years past. We're taking it all out to the streets, so to speak, and uh, we want to be able to reach families in our community. So be thinking about that, praying for that. Help us get the word out about both those events coming up this fall. So let's pause for a minute here. Let's pray together, and we'll dive into God's word together. Lord, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for these songs that we've been able to sing, prayers we've been able to voice together. I thank you for the privilege and the joy of gathered worship and that. we are drawn together by these, the truth of what we've sung, the reality of your coming, of your death, of your resurrection, the, the gospel itself, that we can say as we sung, lead me to the cross, knowing that there you have cared for everything for us. You have purchased our salvation and given us life eternal. And that because of that, we have to look forward to what we also sang about, that one day we will see the Lamb who was slain for us worthy and holy and glorified. And we will be part of that throng of heaven, voicing our praise to you, the worthy one. Lord, we thank you for that anticipation, for that hope, for that assurance. And Lord, that's what drives us to listen to you, respond to you, live for you today, now. So help us as we come to Your Word to dig in, to listen carefully to You, to listen to Your Spirit, and I ask that You would help me to speak what You want spoken this morning. And as always, Lord, we need the power of Your Word and the power of Your Spirit in us to teach us and counsel us and encourage us and motivate us in our daily life for You. We ask that You would do that right here, right now, for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Friday was the first day, the opening ceremonies for the 2020 Olympics. A little delayed, a year delayed, but it started in Tokyo, Japan. How many of you have uh, watched the opening ceremonies or at least something in the Olympics already, so, some event? Okay, a number of you have seen a little bit of that already. As, as we kind of knew this was going to happen, at least in the last couple of weeks, we got word that with no spectators, it's really got to be odd for the athletes, don't you think? To come in, they're gathering from all parts of the world. They're in these huge, beautiful venues that were built for the Olympics, and there's nobody there. Empty seats, you know, no cheering crowds, no waving flags, or at least very little of it. There's basically coaches, trainers, and athletes is about all that's there. And so it's got to be strange for these athletes, for the silence, or if it's not silence, it's canned, you know, over the loudspeakers, fake clapping, and to have this almost kind of lonely feeling in a worldwide event like this. And I thought about that, I was comparing that with our passage today, I thought, you know, maybe Philip felt something similar. Because Philip came from, as we saw last week, in Samaria where the crowds were coming around and people were responding to the gospel and miracles were taking place and everybody was listening to Philip's preaching. As you heard, just heard Fritz read, God took him out of that and now he's placed him on a road, a desert road to nowhere. 
And suddenly the, there's no more crowd noise. There's no more people in the stands. Nobody's waving any flags. And Philip had to be wondering, what am I doing here? Why would God take me out of that successful ministry in Samaria and put me here in the middle of nowhere? Turn with me, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 8. If you haven't turned there in your Bible, do that, or grab a Bible from one of the chairs around you. Look in your phone or electronic device, whatever you have with you this morning. As we go into Acts chapter 8, now let me remind you of last week, first part of chapter 8, Philip was part of that scattering. Remember, with the persecution ramped up in Jerusalem. And so those first Christians that were there at the church in Jerusalem now were running for their lives. And they get scattered out to different places around Judea and to Samaria. We've talked about the significance of that. And that's where Philip, one of the first deacons, ends up. God takes him there and he begins to tell about Jesus. He begins to preach the gospel. And people start coming to faith in droves. Suddenly there's a successful evangelistic campaign going on there in Samaria. It's almost like Philip was the first Billy Graham. You know, his, his evangelistic crusade is going on right there. And what we would expect next, right, is that well, now the next story should be Philip establishing a church there in Samaria. And maybe he becomes the leader of that church. Or at least he starts a ministry. So, you know, maybe it's the Samaritan Evangelical Mission, S-E-M. You know, we got the logo for it and everything. And you can see the website already. Maybe he's going to start that up. Or at the very least, he's got to get some kind of facility or a tent or something for his evangelistic campaigns. But none of that happens. None of that happens because God takes him away from that ministry all of a sudden. He asks Philip to leave all of that for one. So I've chosen that as our title for today, All for One. It, you'll see the meaning of that in a couple different ways this morning, but for Philip, it was leave it all to go to one person that God takes him to. And I want to, as we go through Acts 8, 26 to 40, I want us to focus on four important lessons in this passage. There, there are probably a lot more, but I want to pull out four for us today, very personal, I think very practical lessons. And here's the first, be willing to leave all for one. <laughs> That's exactly what happens to Philip, right? That's what God asked him to do. So we should be willing as well, like Philip was, to leave it all for one. Uh, his responsiveness in this passage is great. Look at the first verse, 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, he tells us it's an angel. It doesn't tell us exactly how this happened. Was it in a dream? Was an angel appear to him? The text doesn't tell us. Just an angel told him this message. And the thought is, you know, if I got an angel telling me what to do, then I probably wouldn't balk at that. I probably would just go. And Philip does, but he does it without even any questioning, without any pushback, even though we just talked about all that he was leaving to do so. He doesn't even flinch, and so he walks away from all the attention he was receiving in Samaria, and he strikes out for Gaza. So let me show you this on a map. Samaria, he, we don't know what city he was in, but somewhere up in that region of Samaria, he comes down and picks up this road heading from Jerusalem to Gaza out on the Mediterranean coast. And he doesn't yet know why. At least in the text, we're not told that the angel gives him any explanation. He doesn't tell him what's going to happen, why he's there, 
Philip just obeys. He goes. Has that ever happened to you? You know, maybe, maybe not the angel voice part of that, but a sense that you had somewhere along the way in your life where, where God was telling you something, moving you in some way. And especially in a case where you sensed that God was changing your plans and it didn't really make a lot of human sense. I think that happened for us and our family some years ago, we were, had been seven years in Houston, Texas as our first full-time church ministry. We loved our church. We loved the church family there. Our kids were just still little, like five and seven. And out of the blue, unsolicited, came an invitation for us to go to Tacoa Falls College to be the campus pastor there on that college campus right up here in northeast Georgia. Now, for a lot of human reasons, it made very little sense because to go to Tacoa Falls meant doing a lot more work, having a lot more responsibility for a lot less pay. It meant selling our home in Houston and moving into a smaller, older, honestly, uglier home right on the campus of the college to be close to the action. It meant leaving a lot of friends that we developed and, and that, that early stage of your life when you're just having kids, those relationships are important. It meant leaving all that. It meant moving farther away from our family. For all those reasons, it made no practical human sense. But Beth and I both knew this is what God was calling us to do. God was saying, go, and here's your desert road. I'm calling you this to this. Without knowing exactly why or what was coming. The same was true for Philip. And I think in our lives there are times when that happens to us, when we know that God is moving us a particular way. He's asking us to do something or go somewhere or be available to Him, and we may not know why, and it may not make any sense. As we see the story unfold, Philip begins to discover what God is doing why he's taken him there, why he had to leave all those crowds in Samaria and go on this road. And it was to meet this one Ethiopian official, by the way, who, by the way, was not a Jew like all the early Christians were, was not even a Samaritan like, like Philip had just come from. This was a Gentile, a non-Jew, probably a proselyte to Judaism, which is why he had been in Jerusalem to worship God. The, the text tells us that. And he had come a long way to do that, too. Let me show you another map here because the geography is important. In this case, we're talking about an area where it was ancient Nubia or Cush. That's when, we, when the text reads Ethiopia. This is what we're talking about, south of Egypt. So a good 200 miles, a long journey in that day especially from Jerusalem. But this man, somewhere along the way, found out about the God of Israel, put his faith in the God of Israel, made his way to Jerusalem, had just, was just leaving Jerusalem from worshiping God there when God brings Philip across his path. God brings Philip to this one man. And, and this is extraordinary, but we really shouldn't be that surprised by it, right? It's kind of the way God works. Remember Jesus in His own ministry. How often did He leave the crowds to go find that one person that needed to be healed or that needed a touch from Him, that needed a word from Him? 
How often did he do that? It was part of his ministry. It was even part of what his teaching, right? Remember the parable of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 in the fold to go find the one lost sheep. Jesus described that. That's the very heart and character of God. To help the one lost soul seeking for answers. Now, maybe maybe God did that for you too. Maybe God sent one person to you when you needed it most, when you were seeking, when you were searching, when you were struggling. Who was that one person that God used who maybe left everything else aside, put everything else down to come to you and tell you about Jesus? Probably every one of us have a story of some kind, somebody that God used in that way to bring us to salvation. For me, it was a a teacher who, at least in that moment, set aside everybody else in the class to come and talk to me, to explain the gospel to me, to pray with me. She left the all for the one. And that's what God does with Philip, and that's the heart of God for people. And I think the encouragement for us is to have the same attitude, the same mindset, be willing to leave whatever you're doing, no matter how important it might seem in the moment. If God moves you, if, if He asks you to speak to somebody, to help somebody, to do something, to go somewhere, that we would be willing to obey in that moment, to leave it all, even for one. Second principle for today, be ready to follow the prompting of God's Spirit. Now, this sounds very similar, and it is. There are similarities here, but this kind of takes it to another level as the story brings in the ministry of the Spirit in Philip's life. Up to this point, Philip has only observed this, Philip, this, this Ethiopian official in his chariot. He's just kind of seen what's going on. They haven't actually had an interaction yet. So, let me just describe the scene a little bit for you here because we tend to have some maybe misconceptions about this story in the book of Acts, especially when we hear the word chariot. Now, if you're like me, I immediately think of Charlton Heston and Ben-Hur, right? So I even found a picture of this to bring up, you know, here it is, the chariot ride, the, the one guy in the chariot cracking the whip, and the horses are driving fast, and they're going around the arena, and the dust is flying. I mean, that's the scene I have. And remember the, the bad guy here has the the little sharp little hubcap or whatever on his chariot, and he's trying to get closer to, to rack up the wheels of the other chariots and throw them off. That's, and so when I think of chariot, this is what I picture. But that's not what's going on. It's not the kind of chariot this Ethiopian official was riding in, okay? So just kind of eliminate that picture from your mind, and let's think about this. Who was this guy anyhow? The text calls him, Luke in his recording of this, calls him the Ethiopian eunuch. As you probably know, it's a term that was used sometimes to describe uh, a castrated man who was put in charge of the king's harem to guard the women of the court. But it could also be used as an official title. It kind of came to be, and in fact, in this passage, very likely it's just used because he was an official within the king's court or the queen's court in this case. And he's a very important official. Luke makes sure that we understand that, right? He's the secretary of the treasury, so to speak, for the queen of Ethiopia. So 
how would he have been traveling that kind of distance? It would not have been one guy in a little one-person chariot. That's not how he would have traveled. It would have been a whole caravan. He would have had servants and attendants and other people with him. There would probably been multiple animals and vehicles, and probably the chariot he was in was more like an ox-drawn cart or horse-drawn wagon of some kind. We know he's not standing up there cracking a whip because the text tells us he was reading a scroll. So somebody else must have been driving the chariot or the wagon. So that's the more the picture that we need to create in our minds as we come to this text. And we read in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So this tells us for sure it wasn't a Ben-Hur chariot. I mean, there's, there's no way you can just go stand near a chariot that's flying around an arena. This is something different. So the Spirit prompts Philip to engage with this Ethiopian official. And Philip, again, obeys. Just like he obeyed to leave Samaria and go to the road, now he obeys the prompting of the Spirit to step up to this chariot. And he comes to the chariot, he hears the man reading the scroll of Isaiah out loud, and he comes to him and he says, do you know and understand what you're reading? Because when most people read the book of Isaiah, they don't really get it, so maybe that's why he asked the question. I mean, that wasn't part of the text in there, but I'm just thinking that's probably what was going through his mind. And it certainly was going through the Ethiopian official's mind. So this is our scene right here, and, and I don't know... If Philip heard the Spirit's voice or whether this was a quiet inner prompting, the text, again, is not specific about that. But what I do know is if the Spirit, then you know what this feels like. This has probably happened to you many times. Times when you just feel that prompting, that movement of the Spirit pushing you to do something or say something or help someone. And often it's something that's kind of out of the ordinary, something out of character for you. And you know it's not you. And so you think, is this God's Spirit moving me in this way? And it's, it's important to use discernment in that. Is this something else or is this God speaking to me? But in this case, the Holy Spirit was moving Philip to step out. Now, probably a lot of you could share stories like this where this has happened you knew it was God's Spirit moving you. Let me give you one story that happened to Beth just a month ago. And again, this is not just her. This kind of happened to any of us. And in, for her, this was unique. This, was, this is not something that happens all the time. She was out at a grocery store, and she was, um, just had a couple of items to buy. So she got in line behind a lady that had a cart full of groceries. And, and the lady, maybe this has happened too, but to you, but he just said, looked around, saw Beth, just had a couple things. So she motioned her forward and said, go ahead, you go first. So Beth thanked her and went around and was standing there uh, checking out with her few items, and suddenly the Spirit moved her heart. She sensed this Spirit telling her to pay for the groceries of that, that woman she just passed by, whose cart she just walked around. Now, again, this doesn't happen all the time because our food budget probably wouldn't allow this to happen all the time. <laughs> but in that moment, Beth just knew that God was moving her to do this. And so she... She kind of checked herself and looked back at the cart because make sure it wasn't just, you know, Cheetos and pork rinds or something that were in the, in the grocery cart. There's real food in there. And so she whispered to the cashier that's what she wanted to do. She paid for her stuff, just stepped aside, waited till the woman went through, checked all her stuff, stepped forward, 
put her card in, pulled it out. The woman is just kind of in, in, in shock and thanking Beth, and she, Beth just smiled and walked out. Now, see, in that moment, Beth could have come up with a million reasons why she shouldn't do that. You know, it's like, well, this woman, I don't know this woman. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what all is buried in her car. I don't know how much this is going to cost. I don't know how Beth's, Jeff's going to deal with this when I tell him what we did when I come home. Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether I'll have any chance to talk to her afterwards, and that's not even what I necessarily want to do. She could have come up with all these reasons, but instead she listened in that moment, and she obeyed. And the same is true for Philip. You think about the story. Philip could have come up with a, a million reasons why he shouldn't go up to that chariot. Lord, th- this, this is a Gentile up there. I can't just walk up and talk to this guy. He's, he's from Ethiopia, it looks like to me, and so he's from some other country, that's for sure. He may not even speak my language. I don't know if we can even have a conversation. And even if I walk up to him, you know, this, this is a moving target. Lord, he's going along here. I'm going to have to kind of jog along just to have a conversation. Any of those things could have been excuses not to follow the prompting of the Spirit. Philip didn't offer any excuses. He just obeyed. He, he followed the prompting of God's Spirit in him because God wanted him to interact with this one man. You know, in God's plan, the man was ready for this interaction. I love how the story unfolds here. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Come tell me. And he invites Philip up into the chariot. And if you haven't seen the providence of God yet in the story, which I hope you have, it's all over the story, but here especially, you can't miss it because when he finds out what this official is reading, it's Isaiah, not just the prophecy of Isaiah, it's Isaiah 53, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And the official asks Philip, what would I, this has got to be the most open-door question that's ever been asked, Right? To be able to share the gospel, he says, you know, I'm reading this, I don't understand, is, is Isaiah talking about himself or somebody else? Who is this about? Oh, you see Philip, oh, man, just, this is it, this, what a great, op- great lead-in. I'll tell you exactly who this is about. And then the text goes on, what's the verse here? Verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. He lays it all out. This is our third lesson this morning. Be aware that many who know about God still don't understand the gospel. Of course, it was true in the early century. Very few knew about it, but it's still true today too. Right here in the South, in the Bible Belt, maybe especially people who've been to church all their lives, who know about God, who know about the Bible, who who maybe even try to live right and do good things, but have no idea of the gospel and what it means to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. We need to be aware that there are those people around us every day, people who have never responded to that good news. I know this is true as well because one of the elders at our previous church had this as part of his testimony. Through his whole adult life, he had been going to churches, been involved in churches, been a deacon in one of those churches, but he was lost. 
never received Christ as a Savior. So they moved again and got to a church, and in the process of becoming members of that church, suddenly, for the first time, somebody asked him, you need to be able to give a testimony of your personal faith in Jesus. And suddenly he realized, I don't have anything to say. I don't have that. And that began a year-long journey for him in reading and digging in and, and checking the claims of Christ and meeting with the pastor of that church until he came to that point where he said, I need to give my life to Christ. I am responding in faith. And for the first time, after all those years in church, he became a Christian, a believer. There are people like that around you that might even be you. Maybe somebody here in this room, maybe somebody that's watching this online today or or sometime in the future from today. You've tried being good, you've attended church, believe in God, but you've never personally, specifically responded to Jesus by giving your life to Him. So today, I'm running alongside your chariot, trying to jump on and tell you about Jesus, just like Philip did for this Ethiopian official. That Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one. He's the one you're searching for, seeking for. It's the one you've been hearing about but haven't maybe yet responded to. Or maybe you're here this morning and hearing this message, maybe God has you hearing this message because He wants you to be Philip to somebody else. He wants you to run along somebody else's chariot, somebody you know that maybe knows a lot about God but has never responded to the gospel. And if you had that opportunity, what would you say? How would you let that person know about Jesus? Well, let's see what Philip did right here in the passage. Verse 32 and 33 in Acts 8, which is a quotation of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. We'll put it on the screen as well. Here's the quote of this prophecy. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This Ethiopian official asked if Isaiah was talking about himself or someone else in this passage that he just read. And and Philip probably told him, we don't have the exact words about how Philip described this, but he probably told him, uh, yes, this is not about Isaiah. This is about God's Messiah. And guess what? He has come. And he is Jesus. And then he probably went back through and explained to him how everything that Isaiah said in this prophecy fit the person and the experience and the life of Jesus. Told him that like a lamb going to the slaughter, that Jesus was brought to his death, he didn't resist, he didn't defend himself, that he allowed the soldiers and the religious officials to humiliate him and mock him, and he didn't say a word, just like Isaiah prophesied, that he was deprived of justice, that he was unfairly sentenced to death, just like Isaiah prophesied, that his life was taken from him as he died on that cross, just like Isaiah said would happen. And then we don't know for sure what else this Philip described, but I'm sure he finished the story of the gospel by telling him, but Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He came back to life. We are witnesses of of him. And then he ascended into heaven. And since then, so many people have responded in faith to believe that Jesus is God's Messiah, just like Isaiah prophesied. 
and that He came to forgive our sins and to give us the gift of life. And I'm sure Philip told him about what had been happening in Samaria and how people had been responding in faith there and how they'd been baptized to demonstrate that faith publicly. And maybe it was right then in Philip's explanation that they just happened to drive by an oasis. Now, again, we read the story, it's like, oh, they just went, they saw water. This is a desert road, we're told. You don't just pass water all the time. It's not that unusual, it's, it's very unusual. And so the fact that they would just suddenly come to this oasis, God is obviously working. This is God's timing. And this Ethiopian official sees the water and he says, verse 38, or verse 36, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So, again, Philip must be thinking, wow, this is amazing. This guy is responding not only in personal faith, but now he also wants to make and understands that he needs to make his faith public, and he's asking to be baptized. In verse 38, he gave the orders to stop the chariot. That's not Philip's words. That's this Ethiopian treasurer saying, hold it, stop the caravan. I need to be baptized right now. And so in front of all, whoever else, the attendants and the servants, now realize, again, this is probably, it certainly was not just Philip and this Ethiopian official. This is everybody else who was part of his caravan from Ethiopia now seeing this man demonstrate his faith in Jesus right here and now. Extraordinary. Leads to our fourth principle this morning. That is, be obedient to God's command to demonstrate your faith publicly. Be obedient to God's command. And this, this official understood this from this one conversation, interaction with Philip. He understood that he needed to not only make a decision personally, but that he needed to make it public through baptism. Maybe Philip had even shared with him about Jesus' last words, what we call the Great Commission before He went up into heaven, and that in that moment Jesus had said to His disciples, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this man was ready to follow that command. Verse 38, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. Have you done that? Have you been obedient to this command? Because if you've placed your faith in Jesus, this is part of it. You make it public through baptism. Because in baptism, we're following the instructions of Jesus. We're affirming what God has done in our hearts and our lives. We're following the example of the early church. It's all here. We're going to see it many more times in the book of Acts. And I know there's a lot of things that can hold us back from that. some cases, people are born again when they're saved that maybe somebody didn't emphasize the importance of making it public through baptism. It just kind of was missed. Maybe in your case, you're baptized as an infant. And here at Trinity, we don't require rebaptism, but maybe you come to a point where you realize, you know, as an adult, making that decision for Christ, I do need to make it public. And baptism is a great way to make it public. Maybe in your experiences, it just, it just didn't happen before, and now it's embarrassing to, to say, well, I've been a Christian for so many years, why be baptized now? And that, exa- that exact thing happened to a friend, pastor friend of mine who was saved as a teenager, 
didn't get baptized then for whatever reasons. Years later, he's serving in a church as an elder, and God convicted him of his need to be baptized. And he fought it. He argued with God about it because I can't do that now. It's embarrassing. I've been a Christian all these years. I'm an elder, a leader in my church. But God kept pressing him, pressing him until he gave in. He obeyed. He was baptized. And his testimony is powerful for that church to see his humility and his willingness to obey that command to be baptized at that stage of his life. Be obedient to God's command to demonstrate your faith publicly. If, if you have any question about this, by the way, please talk to me, Pastor Jason. We do observe the ordinance of baptism here at Trinity Church, and we would love to talk with you and pray with you through that decision to make it public if you've never done that before. So as we close this passage, I'm going to come back to the two key characters. What about Philip? Philip was sensitive and responsive to the Spirit. That's what we see in him. And God used that. God led him to the one who needed to hear the gospel. And the one who needed it, the Ethiopian eunuch, was seeking and responsive. He was trying to read. He was trying to understand. He had pursued God. He went all the way to Jerusalem. And then God responded to him and brought Philip to him and led him to faith. The passage ends, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, sometimes we come to verses like that and we tend to, you know, this just, Luke's just kind of wrapping this up. He's giving us a little geography and telling us where people went after. This is more than that. Don't miss in these last couple of verses what we see happening here. So this excited, joyful official who works for the queen in Ethiopia He's so excited about his faith, he goes back home, and surely he told others. And as far as we know, this is the first witness of Jesus into a whole new continent. Look at the map again here, a little different map, but the same kind of idea. Nubia, there it is, just south of Egypt, or, or Cush, Ethiopia, it's all the same, right, where you see the word Nubia. This is another continent now that is being affected. The seed is being planted of the gospel and the continent of Africa, right here in this story. In our series, To the Ends of the Earth, it's happening right here. God takes the gospel. And then Philip is miraculously, we don't even know how this happened. The Spirit just suddenly whisks him away, and he ends up off this road. And not, and let's take the next map here. Not to Gaza, where the road was going, but to Azotos, a little further up the coast along the Mediterranean. And, and Philip, I love this, he just begins traveling he doesn't even blink. He just starts traveling up the coast, and he shares the gospel wherever he is. Such a heart for Jesus. It's just, it doesn't matter where I am. Wherever God takes me, I know what my job is. I give the gospel. And now more people, new people, new places, all the way to Caesarea where Philip lands. We're going to meet him again there later with his family, faithfully ministering wherever God plants him. I love this. This one encounter God uses to spread the gospel far and wide. All for one. And one for all. Maybe you already anticipated I was going there because the famous three musketeers motto, right? All for one and one for all. But put it in a little different context than use this morning because I think it really represents God's heart, God's plan for the gospel. 
as we see it unfold in Acts 8 right here. The story here shows how, what God will do to reach one person. God will move it all, give it all, spend it all to reach one person. And He asked Philip to leave it all to go to this one. And it shows what one faithful person, whether that be Philip or whether that be this Ethiopian official, can do to spread the news then to all, one for all. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, I hope you hear me and hear this passage this morning, that Jesus loves you, He is running after you, and He will send others to run after your chariot, your journey, your journey to tell you about Jesus. If you will stop, if you will listen, if you will understand His love for you, He left it all. Jesus left it all for you, the one. And if you're here this morning and you know the Lord is your Savior already, then you know that God has already done that for you, then you are the one that God has given to all who are around you to then share the gospel with them. And when God gives you the opportunity, when God by His Spirit prompts you to help somebody, to speak to somebody, to go to somebody, don't ignore the prompting of the Spirit. Just go in obedience like Philip did. Be the one for all. All for one and one for all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage and this wonderful story. So much embedded here that for us to learn from. Lord, we want, the, we want the heart of Philip, just the willingness to listen, to obey, to go wherever, do whatever, to not get so attached to our things or our places or anything in our lives that we can't be used by you whenever or wherever you prompt us to go. Help us to set aside the excuses we tend to use to not follow the prompting of your Spirit. Help us to be obedient in those moments. And Lord, I thank you for this wonderful response of the Ethiopian official. And Lord, if anybody is here this morning and they don't know you, I pray that in hearing this, hearing about your love for them, hearing about what Jesus did for them, hearing about the cross, hearing about how Jesus is that prophesied lamb, the sacrificed lamb, Lord, I pray that they would have the same response that this Ethiopian official had, a joyful response, receptive response, saying, I give my life to Him. What's preventing me from being baptized, from giving my life and demonstrating it to anyone else, everyone else, right here, right now? Lord, if anybody's here this morning, I pray that they would be that responsive to you right this moment. And Lord, I thank you that you, you have called us, you use us to build your church. And may we be a part of that amazing, eternal building project. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for sending somebody to run alongside our chariot to tell us about you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.